Hear what Jesus said as recorded in John chapter 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, in this life where we can't see you physically, where you've asked us to walk by faith and not by sight, uh, we thank you that you uh, have told us very clearly why you came, that we might have life and have it to the full. So Lord, we want that. We're mindful together as a community of faith gathered in this place right now that we've had different kinds of weeks. We're we're coming from different experiences in life, different seasons of life, but we're gathered in this place for you. And we pray that you would speak now, Lord, and help us by your spirit. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to you. Uh, If we haven't met, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here, along with Pastor Sam and Pastor Brian and the whole staff team. So good to be worshiping with you. Uh, We begin a new series uh, for the season of Lent this week. And the series, as you can see, is titled In His Own Words. We'll be looking at the I am statements that Jesus made. These are all recorded in John's Gospel. Uh, Mark chapter 8 records Jesus asking his disciples a very important question. He he asks this, who do people say I am? And to to understand really the the full significance of this question, you have to understand where Jesus asked it. So track with me here. 
You have to understand where, because Jesus had taken his disciples on a field trip, I believe, to ask this very question. He took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. They had been kind of on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, but he took them from there to Caesarea Philippi, 25 miles as the crow flies, probably 30 or 35 miles as you hiked the paths, a couple days worth of walking. Jesus took them there, I believe, to ask them this very question. See, Caesarea Philippi was the Las Vegas of the ancient world. Sin City, right? The, the, the great uh, Greek fertility god Pan had a big home base there. There was, there was a huge cliff and a cave at the bottom that bent straight down, and that was understood to be where Pan lived. And then carved out of the cliff face were all these little niches where lesser Greek gods lived. And then if you... Uh, if you looked over toward to where, where the city was, there were temples to all sorts of different deities, one to Caesar, one to other Greek gods. I mean, basically, it was the, the full spiritual smorgasbord of the ancient world. Any spiritual belief you kind of wanted was represented there. And, and many of the, uh, the typical worship practices in these places involved really weird stuff. I mean, ritual sexual practices, temple prostitution, even bestiality. It was... It was off the rails, weird. Faithful Jews would have avoided this place like the plague. But Jesus took the whole gang right there. And if you go there today in our time and you kind of know the hiking trails, I've done this uh, because I was led on it, not because I know the hiking trails. Uh, You can hike up a wooded hill and hike through the woods and you come to a place where the hill drops off and you can see the cliff and you can see Pan's cave and you can see the niches. And as you scan to the left, you can see the ruins of Caesarea Philippi with the, ru- the ruins of all these temples. And you can feel it. You can feel the importance of the question, who do people say I am? Now, this is completely speculative, but because I've stood there and looked over that, I I like to imagine that Jesus took the disciples to that very spot, kind of leading them down the trail. You know, they come to this outcropping, and, whoa, big vista, the cliff, well, there's Pan's cave, all the niches, all all the temples and stuff. I imagine him looking out over the city with his back to his disciples and saying away from them, who who do people say I am? And from behind him, they respond, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And then I like to envision him kind of turning to face them. So they're back here, and now they see Jesus, now facing them. And behind him, the vista of Caesarea Philippi. Excuse me. So you can kind of feel it, right? And Jesus looks right at them, and says, who do you say I am? You feel it, don't you? I mean, he's, he's asking, look, you've, you've been with me. Am I just one among many? Am I a kind of a spiritual option that you can choose to put on your own personal religious plate, just like all the rest of this stuff that you're looking at? Or, or is there something categorically different going on here.
See, the question Jesus asked his disciples in Caesarea Philippi that day is as relevant today as it was then. And before we assume we know the answer to the question, Jesus asks, who am I? Before we assume we know the answer, or before we simply accept what other people say about Jesus, we should explore what he said about himself. And that is what the I am statements are about. So our Lenten series will walk through all seven of them, and each of them reveals a different aspect of Jesus' identity and helps us answer with certainty the question of who he was, who he is even now. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. You know, he said, I am this, I am that, I am, you fill in the blank. But every time he completed that phrase with an image, not a theological dissertation, not a big explanation, he said things like, I am the gate. You know, very practical, tangible, brings pictures to mind. So Jesus used, used images to help us understand who he is. And there's another side to this too. We learn who we are and what we need when we hear who Jesus says he is. Right? All of these images, if, if we'll allow them, uh, invite us to receive him as the one who provides for our deepest needs. And we'll see that throughout the course of the entire series, I think. And again, of course, uh, the image for today is the gate. So let, let's think about gates in general. Um, I don't know what comes to mind when you think about a gate, but I, I got something like this going on. Kind of, a, I think of about a fence gate, um, either chain link or kind of a wooden one with a little handle that kind of opens. But, but there are all, all, all sorts of gates, right? Super Bowl last weekend, big stadium in Las Vegas. Uh, everybody, everybody had to enter through a gate, right, to get in you had to go through a gate. I'm sure Taylor Swift even had to go through a gate. And she made it, yay! Uh, to catch a flight, you have to find not just the right terminal, but the right gate. I've got a friend who has a hilarious story about going to the wrong gate, getting on the wrong airplane, and flying to the wrong city. <laughs> and when he tells it, it's just, it's, it's hilarious. You gotta, you gotta find the right gate. My in-laws live in a gated community. To get into their neighborhood, you've got to go through a little gate, and there's a little guy there, and you've got to prove that you're good. Uh, in, in the ancient world, the, the city gate was a very important place. People gathered there, but you know, in an ancient city, there was a wall all the way around, so the, the city gate offered protection. It was the way in. Uh, it, 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 it ensured safety. One writer put it very simply. When you think about a gate, there's something on one side and then something different on the other side. I literally laughed out loud when I read that this week. Like, well, duh. But then I kind of thought about it and thought, well, yeah. Actually, that's just the point. You know, a gate is that through which you pass to move from one place to another place. Otherwise, you don't need a gate, right? It's, there's some kind of separation. Now, this image that Jesus used, of course, was specific to shepherding and sheep. 
Uh, he said, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And just after this first portion of uh, the 10th chapter of John's gospel, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. That's next week's message, so come back for that. Um, so, so we could ask, what did sheep gates look like in the ancient world? Is, is there anything helpful for us in that kind of image to understand what Jesus was saying? Sir George Adam Smith was an Old Testament professor in Scotland in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Here's the quick story of an experience he had. On one occasion, he was traveling through the Middle East with a guide, and they came across a shepherd and his sheep. The shepherd took Smith to where he put his fold of sheep at night. The pen had four walls with an entryway on one side. There was no swinging door or gate, simply an opening. The shepherd told Smith that at night all his sheep went in and they were perfectly safe because he was the door. That was the phrase the shepherd used. He wasn't a Christian and he wasn't trying to invoke biblical imagery or language, but he said, I am the door. The shepherd said, when the light has gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie in the open space and no sheep ever goes out but across my body and no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. Maybe it looks something like this. And when we think sheep pen, we probably think like wooden fences and stuff, but not much wood in the Holy Land. A lot of, a lot of rocks. So this is probably what it looked like. No gate, just an opening. And this part is super important. Jesus did not say, I am like a gate for the sheep. He said, I am the gate for the sheep. And this made a ton of sense to anyone listening to him back then because in the ancient world, the shepherd was the gate. That was kind of the point. There, there is no getting around the exclusive claim this image represents, right? Jesus said it. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, I, I get that you probably can't get much countercultural than that, right? There, there's, just, there's just one gate. But let's be clear. It's not just countercultural in our day, in our kind of modern affluent Western secular society. It was just as countercultural in Jesus' day. That's why he took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi to ask them that most important question. Who do you say I am? Remember the backdrop for the disciples in Caesarea Philippi, that Jesus facing them, all the stuff in the background, right? And they saw it. It was visually represented presented to them, all sorts of different spiritual beliefs, all sorts of different claims, all sorts of different philosophies. The spiritual smorgasbord of options with the assumed underlying message that you can pick whatever you want because you can do your thing and I'll do mine and the important part is that we pick what we like and the thing is valuable because we picked it. You know, that spirit is exactly the same in our culture as it was in Jesus' day. Here's what it looks like in our day. 
You might have seen this on a bumper sticker, right? Um, coexist. There's, 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 a lot, there's a lot more. When you start, start talking about symbols and stuff, there's always a lot more. So there's, there's a history to this thing. But this one is very interesting, right? The C being the, the crescent and star of Islam, the O being the peace symbol, which interestingly uh, originally stood for nuclear disarmament. The E with the typical kind of male and female uh, arrow and thingy, right? Uh, which, which I take to mean in, in this uh, expression of, of symbols, kind of like the love is love part of those yard signs, uh, meaning uh, people should be able to, to have sexual relationships with whomever they please. Say it very bluntly, right? And we shouldn't have an opinion about it. Uh, the, the X is the star of David, of course, from Judaism. This one's interesting. The I is dotted with a pentagram uh, used in occultism. Of course, the S is the yin and the yang of Chinese philosophy, and the, the, the T is the cross of Christianity, of course. Uh, there it is, the spirit of Caesarea Philippi condensed into a bumper sticker, right? And, and we see it. We, we see the backdrop of Caesarea Philippi everywhere we look in our culture if you only have eyes to see it. And we ought to. We ought to pay attention to what's going on. Now, please don't be fooled. Don't look at this bumper sticker and believe the underlying message because there is an underlying message, and that message is this. What matters most is tolerance and love. What people believe or do is their own business, and our greatest calling is simply to get along, to coexist with others, no matter what they believe or do. Now, I am not, nor should any Christian ever, argue against tolerance and love. The thing we have to talk about is the foundation upon which those values are based. That's the problem. See, Christians value tolerance and love because we believe that every single human being was created in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect for that reason alone. Uh, we believe in tolerance and love because we ourselves are recipients of a free and amazing grace given to us at the very point we deserved at least. We've been tolerated and we've been loved and we ought to do likewise in the world. But that bumper sticker says we should value tolerance and love because what people believe in the end doesn't really matter. It insinuates that all spiritual beliefs and philosophies are created equal and whichever one a person picks is fine because it's their choice and there are no real distinctions between faiths because the only goal is to find something in life that works for you and if they've chosen it, it must work for them. Therefore, we should be good with it. But Jesus said, I am the gate, the gate. And some of the claims of the faiths represented on that bumper sticker are mutually exclusive, meaning they contradict one another. They're, they're mutually contradictory. They can't all be true. So in the end, if you think all religions and spiritual beliefs are different versions of the same thing, you gotta face the fact that you disagree with Jesus. 
If you think all spiritual paths lead to God, you gotta face the fact that you disagree with Jesus. So just know what you're doing if that's what you're thinking. Very simply, if you wanna find your way home to God, you must enter through the gate God provided and that is Jesus. That's what I understand to be Jesus to be saying in, in using this image. Now Christmas and Easter claim that we live in a world where both an incarnation and a resurrection have happened. Those are stunning claims. They are historical in nature, not just philosophical or heady ideas. The claim is that this stuff happened in this world and that they're as real as the person sitting next to you whom you can touch. That's the claim. Those claims of Christmas and Easter are are utterly unique. They are either true or not. They cannot and will not stand alongside other spiritual claims, remaining silent and acquiescent, allowing us to choose our own path and pick our own way. No. With the gentle thunder of divine love, their claims resound through the centuries, pursuing us, wooing us, inviting us, and even finding us. Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. There's no other way to come home to God but to enter through the gate God provided. Now, the exclusive claim of Jesus does not mean the way home to God is only open to a select few. The exclusive part is that it's the only way home to God, not that it excludes people from coming home to God, which I think is a vast misunderstanding in our culture. The gate is open, the door is open, it's open to everybody. The Bible makes that crystal clear. God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus did what he did on the cross for us and and for our world. And again, in the, in the passage of the day, Jesus told us why he came. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's the why. Why did Jesus do everything that he did? That we might have life and have it to the full. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is centered on God's desire for us to have life and have it to the full. And if I can geek out for a moment and quote Karl Barth, thanks for indulging me, this is a great line. At the heart of the gospel lies the fact that God, in complete freedom, elected to be a God for us. Can I read that again? At the heart of the gospel lies the fact that God, in complete freedom, elected to be a God for us. For you. For all of us. Right, when Jesus told us that he is the gate for the sheep, it was all grace and invitation, not not punishment and trying to exclude people. One author put it this way, the goal of Jesus' time on earth was not to keep us confused about the right path to God, but to give us clarity. He's telling us that he is the gate and any other way is not. These are not the harsh statements of a bully saying the gate is locked. 
they are grace-filled statements to give us clarity on the issue of eternity and relating with God. See, the image of a gate invites us to walk through it. Enter in. Enter in. Enter in. And when we walk through a gate, you know, the line I laughed at earlier in the week when I read it in that book, we move from one place to another kind of place. And the invitation of the gospel is to come home to God through the gate of Jesus and into new life in a perfectly reconciled relationship with God. And when God, in complete freedom, elected to be God for us, what he decided to do was to come to earth in the person of Jesus, that's Christmas, to live a life, a perfect human life, not necessarily through the power of his divinity, but living as a, as a full human being. Of course, he died on the cross, and we understand that to be a substitutionary death. He paid a debt that we'd, we owed that we could never pay, and he didn't owe, but he took it all upon himself. He became sin for us on the cross, the Bible says. There's this great exchange. One of the most compelling kind of modern explanations of this for me came from uh, Pastor Tim Keller when he refers to the perfectly validating performance record of Jesus. Right? And, and it, as followers of, of Jesus, if we're in Christ, if we've placed our trust in Christ and are walking with him, we can understand the, the perfectly validating performance record of Jesus to be applied to us. Because that's what happened on the cross. Jesus took our resume and put it in the shredder and he gave us his. And it's a perfectly validating resume. So when anybody asks, hey, how have you done? You're like, oh, well, uh, I guess like this. Right? You can feel the freedom and grace of that. That, that's the good news. It actually happened. We're not just rehearsing religious ideas here. This actually happened. It is open and available to you right now. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're into right now, no matter how undeserving, unworthy, insufficient, you might feel, all of us right this moment are invited to come home to God through the gate of Jesus to new life in the perfect righteousness that Christ offers us. So come through the gate. God's the one inviting Thus, anyone who is in Christ can exclaim with their whole being, the old is gone and the new has come. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you that at the very moment we were least deserving 
You came for us. You died for us. While, while we were still your, your enemies, still in our sin, you died for us. You chose to do all of this, not because you had to, but evidently because you wanted to. So God, thank you for that. Help us grow in our walk with you. We're all at different places, and I just, I just pray that you would pour out your spirit on all of us and help us take the next step forward with you, whatever that is for us. And if there be any barrier in the way to that, Lord, would you please empower us, pour out your spirit on us. Don't just fill us with your spirit, but empower us by your spirit to look to you, to, to step forward in, in faith, to take that step, and to trust you. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you. We pray in your name. Amen.